Welcome to the Harbor Church Podcast. Harbor is here to connect people with Jesus and with each other. If you're looking to get connected, you can find more info at harborchurch.com. Now here's this week's message from Pastor Josh. Woo! How we doing? How's everybody out there? There you go. You can move your arms, clap a little bit. How's everybody doing? Welcome to Harbor Church. If this is your first time or your first time in a long time, uh, my name is Josh Adams. I am the senior pastor here at Harbor Church, and uh, I'm thrilled that you're with us. You might be tuning in online, checking us out that way. Thanks. Let us know you're visiting. Uh, Just uh, fill out something and say, hey, I'm here. We want to send you a gift just for joining with us and being being a part of Harbor Services today. If it's your first time, we want to spend you a, send you a special gift. Uh, and we just want to know how we can bless you. So uh, whether you're watching at home or you're here in person, communicate with us. Let us know what we can do to walk alongside you. Uh, we are jumping into a new series uh, that we are kicking off today. And um, I'm, I'm, I've been looking forward to, to this for a while. We even decorated a little bit for it um, because, uh, man, it's been going around in my head for about a year I just kept being drawn to all the different Bible stories uh, that had something to do with boats and water. And um, there's a lot more of them than you might think. And uh, I just thought, as we just keep going into these, God keeps showing just how awesome he is and, and how he has a plan for us. And those two songs that we just sang, as well as the one that we're getting ready to sing, speak to this idea of a God who stays with us through the storms, holds back the waves, he... He comes alongside of us, and man, he, he does some pretty powerful things to protect us, to save us, to be with us, and I think you can see that in a lot of these stories. So if this is your first time in church, and maybe you've never been to church before, I'm going to kind of read uh, some, some different ones during the series. The one that we're kicking off with tonight, if, I thought if we're going to talk about boats, if we're going to talk about boats, we might as well just go ahead and start with the very biggest boat the Bible has to offer. All right. It also happens to be chronologically the first boat uh, that we get into. We're going to talk about what is commonly called the ark. And it's uh, the biggest boat that we have record of in the Bible. It's a boat that was built by a guy named Noah, and it was built for the purpose of a flood. And I know some of you have probably heard this story before, Noah and the flood, Noah and the ark. Um, And some of you, this may be your first time hearing it. I I will say this, it's, it's, it's hard to get your head around. And it's a it's a story that actually, man, it's, it's tough because it's fantastic. It's this amazing story about this huge boat and this huge flood and all of these animals. But it also speaks to some really heaviness, some, you know, the, the end of the world kind of stuff. And so um, I, I want you to know going into it, we got to be a little bit open-minded by saying, God, what would you have for us? But if you haven't heard this story before, let me walk you all the way through it before you make up your mind about it, okay? Um, I'm going to start off by just trying to walk you through this story. Once again, I know that some of you have heard it a thousand times and some of you have never heard it. So I can't read all of the story of Noah and the ark, but let's talk about this boat and let's see what God has with the very first boat story to tell us about himself and to show us about, oursel- about ourselves. And you can find it in Genesis 6, 7, 8, and 9. You can read about no, I'm going to jump around those chapters and I'm going to read you uh, chunks of it, but uh, you can always go and read the whole story for yourself. This is basically how it goes down. And we're going to start in verse five of Genesis chapter six. In verse five of Genesis chapter six, it says, the Lord observed the extent of human wickedness on the earth. And he saw that everything that they thought of talking about the humans. So God's looking down on the earth and he, he just notices that everything that they think of or they imagine was consistently 
and totally evil. And this gives you a picture of what the world was like at this time. Because there hadn't been uh, really anybody pushing back against the evil in the world, mankind just got creative in how broken and jacked up they were. This is, by the way, the same thing that we suffer from today. A world without the Holy Spirit, a world without God, without a, a higher moral standard is going to continue to devolve. It's not getting better. People are wicked. They're born with a, a sin nature. And left to their own devices, we can come up with, humans can come up with some pretty evil stuff. And apparently it got so bad that in verse number six, it said, the Lord was sorry that he ever made them, that he put them on the earth. It broke his heart. And the Lord said, I will wipe out the human race I have created from the face of the earth. Yes, I will destroy every living thing, all the people, the large animals, the small animals that scurry along the ground, even the birds of the sky. I'm sorry I ever made them. This is, this is a hard verse to read. Okay, just for me. You guys are like, I liked it. It's a good verse. No, it's, it's not. It's a heavy verse, right? It's heavy. Like It's like, okay, so what kind of God are we talking about? One, you need to go back a, a couple, uh, about a month and a half ago when we started off on the Big Butt series and why does God let bad things happen? God is good. You need to understand God is good and pure and righteous and what he created was perfect and holy because he is perfect and holy and that's what he wanted to have a walking relationship with. He built, he made, he created humans for that interaction, for that relationship. Those humans, the first ones, Adam and Eve, took their free will and chose to rebel against God and they introduced sin into the picture and sin has been a corrupting, compounding force at play. God, in all of his goodness and righteousness, he wouldn't really be good if he just let bad stuff happen. There has to be at some point a, a, a judgment, a punishment, a reconciling of evil because God is good. If he, if he didn't require that, he wouldn't actually be a good God. And so he's looking, he's like, the world has gotten so dark and so bad and mankind is being so mean to each other. I'm just going to clean the slate. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go back, I'm going to clean the slate and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to flood this place. And he's just looking across it and everybody is bad. And then... I love when the Bible puts in a but, and I could have put it in last, last series, the big buts, but there is a but. And then verse, verse 7 says he's going to destroy everything. And verse 8 says, but Noah found favor with the Lord. So out of all of the corrupt, jacked up, weird, mean, ugly people, and all the bad stuff that's going on, there was a guy named Noah who found favor with the Lord. This is the account of Noah and his family. And so Moses, who ended up writing the book of Genesis, is retelling the story. He says, this is going to be the story here in Genesis 6 and, and the chapters that come about Moses, his family, Noah. Uh, sorry, I said Moses. Noah, Moses wrote it about Noah and his family. Noah was a righteous man, the only blameless person living on the earth at the time. And here is what he is known for. He walked in close fellowship with God. Noah gets remembered as being a boat builder, okay? That was not why he was picked. Nobody had built a boat before, definitely not to this scale. Noah was not an engineer or some type of architect, some type of designer, and definitely isn't known for having anything nautical. He actually is named for farming. His dad named them because they were farmers. So he has very little, if anything, to do with water and boats, He's picked not because of his talent. He's picked because of his proximity to God. 
If you're going to learn something, if you want to begin to understand why these stories are in the Bible, let's talk about the fact that why did God choose to save Noah? When everybody else is jacked up and corrupt and the world's going to hell in a handbasket, God says, hey, I like that guy. It's because Noah was wicked smart. No. Well, he picked Noah because Noah knows how to build boats. No. Well, he picked Noah because he's got a lot of followers on Instagram. No. He picked Noah because Noah walked in fellowship with God. Noah was centered. No matter how bad the world got, Noah centered himself. He anchored himself. He, he held close to the God of the universe, even though everybody else, and truthfully, everybody else on the planet, you think your job is bad? You think you live in a rough area? Noah, home slice here, had zero people on the planet that were like with him, encouraging him in his walk. You might be the only believer in your family. Noah was the only person on the planet. Okay? And it says that he was walking with God. I think we have to start by asking ourselves, where are we anchored? If we're going to look at the story of, of an ark, of the world's biggest boat at the time, or the first big boat, if we're going to look at this really cool, fantastic story, we have to start with the character Noah, the one who's asked to captain the ship, and we have to compare ourselves. He found a way to stay close to God, even though everything around him was all jacked up. Where do you find yourself at today? I also recognize that I'm probably talking to some of you, and you would go, I don't know if I believe in God. I don't know if I can trust God. I don't know about letting Jesus into my life. I don't know about this surrender, this salvation, this stuff I hear about. I don't know about being born again. I don't know what, I don't know if I can buy into that. And that might be some of you. And I'm, I'm just glad that you're here letting me tell you this story. It centers around a, a guy who had to put his faith somewhere. And Noah decided that although the, everybody around him was, was going to put their faith in their money and in their happiness and in their relationships and in their, their possessions, he was going to put his faith in God because him being anchored there is the reason this story happens. Without him being anchored in a relationship where he walked, he was known as walking close with God. This is what it says in Hebrews chapter 11. Thousands of years later, Hebrews is written about Noah. And Noah, it says this, the author writes this, in, in, uh, as, a, as the hall of fame of faith is what Hebrews 11 is called. It says, it was by faith that Noah built a large boat to save his family from the flood. So we, we're reading from the Old Testament. This is a New Testament uh, a verse about him. It says, he obeyed God who warned him about things that had never happened before. There wasn't rain. There wasn't floods. There, God's like, I'm going to do this new thing. I'm going to call it rain. <laughs> and it's going to, I mean, it's going to be a lot of water, bro. I mean, a lot of water. And Moses, or Noah's like, a little bit? A lot of bit. And he's just like, I don't even know what that would look like. And God's like, don't worry. <laughs> I promise you, it's going to blow your mind. Build a boat. A small boat? A big boat. It was all stuff like we read the story like, yeah, I get it. I've heard it. No, like he had never heard it before. It was brand new. He did have, he had no clue. And yet he trusted God. And it says by his faith, the faith of Noah, he condemned the rest of the world. By comparison, when you look at the rest of the world, it, it wasn't like, well, nobody could do this. It, 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 it's just impossible for them to trust God. It wasn't impossible for the, the other people to trust God because Noah did it. And Noah wasn't anything special. He was just like us, a broken human being who decided not to trust himself and instead 
trust the creator and that's what separated them it wasn't that the other people couldn't do it it's that they chose not to do it and here's what i'm trying to get across to you in this where are you anchored you are going to face stuff at work with your friends everybody you talk to on, at, at some, on some site you're going to find it with the, the movies you watch and the music you listen to there is a vast growing crowd of people moving away from god and you're going to have to go am i with them or am i going to stand out and be different and that decision is going to make all of the difference in all of the rest of your life on who you're anchored in or where you're where you're going to trust where you're going to put your faith it says it's it's by that it's be, it's by that that he condemned the rest of the world and he received the righteousness that comes from faith the verse before uh, hebrews eleven seven talks about his great grandpa who says enoch was known for walking with god he's in a lineage noah is of being known for walking with god if if we were to pull the people that you work with if i was to go over and ask your neighbor hey tell me about your neighbor what's she like what's he like if i ask some of the people that god allows you to have a testimony in front of live your life in front of would they say oh yeah he walks with god yeah she 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 walks with god are you known for that because that's what these these guys were known for and listen this isn't me like pointing my finger at you i'm probably known for being a bad driver my my neighbors are probably like, yeah the guy drives too fast in the neighborhood i'd be like shut up <laughs> i'd also be known as the guy that tells him to shut up um but what i want to be known for is i want to be known as somebody who's walking with god and that that requires a commitment where i'm walking daily with the creator i have to be more committed to my faith than i am to all my distractions some of you might want to write that down i have to be more in tune with a daily communion with god than i have to be focusing on what makes me happy today and what we are told by the world around us is pursue your own happiness as long as you're making some money or having some some relationships or gaining something for retirement you fill in the blank we're told that that's that will make us happy that's what we should pursue you're going to have to push back against that noah in verse number 10 it says noah was the, the father of three sons shem ham and japheth can you imagine this conversation shem he's really strong he's a really strong guy japheth he's wicked smart and ham he tastes delicious on pizza um, i don't know why you name your son ham i really don't but that's his that's his voice he's got three sons and it says now god saw that the earth had become corrupt and was filled with violence and that's verse number 11 god observed this corruption in the world for everyone on earth was corrupt so god said to noah i've decided to destroy so god is now telling noah the plan i've decided to destroy all the living creatures uh, for they have filled the earth with violence yes i will wipe them all out along with the earth i'm going to go to the marker board and just to start swiping down i'm going to clean this up we're going to go back to a clean slate noah he says uh, build a large boat some some translations put the word ark there make it from cypress wood or gopher wood and waterproof it with tar inside and out now check this out god is beginning to give him instructions then construct decks and stalls throughout the interior make the boat 450 feet long 75 feet wide and 45 feet high and leave an 18 inch opening below the roof all the way around the boat god knew about ventilation even if noah didn't 
And he says, put the door on the side and build three decks inside the boat, a lower, a middle, and an upper. And here's, I want to pause for a second because I think a lot of people get wrapped up in just like, I'm just going to go with it. I'm just going to just do this and, and are very nonchalant, very flippant about your faith and growing. And what I see in the Bible, not just in this story, but over and over again, is that God does care about the details. I see a God who is particular in, in, in many different areas. And I'm, I'm pushing back here for a second because I want you to hear this. Some churches, they're, they're so eager to just be spill, filled with the Spirit. And I believe that the Holy Spirit works and you have to leave room for that. And, and there needs to be flexibility and that we can just kind of go with how God leads. But there is an element of this is not a chaotic plan. God didn't just go, eh, build a boat. No, it's like, like, like raft. Yeah, sure, figure it out. Whatever works for you. God didn't. God was very specific. God broke it down very intentionally. And so I, as much as I love to think about, like, I'm just going to do it, whatever, wherever the Spirit leads, wherever I go, I could literally just get up and go, I'm just going to open my Bible and we'll just read a passage and preach. And yeah, that's, that's not bad. All of the Bible is inspired. I believe that God is not, he says he's not the author of confusion. I believe that God is honored by us being intentional about the way we live our lives. So some of us are missing the order that pleases the God of the universe. Some of us are very just ah, all the time. And Noah, Noah didn't get where he was supposed to be by just winging it. Some of you, some of you, you can do that and you're skilled enough. But I, I would ask you, is maybe your life a little too flippant right now? Could you maybe, could you maybe put some structure in that says, God, how would you best have me use my time? Because I seem to be wasting some of it. God, how can I best budget my money? Because I want to honor you by being a good steward of what you've given me. God, you, you've given me a relationship here, or a marriage here, or children here, or parents here, a boss here, employees there, whatever. God, you've allowed me to have a certain amount of people. How would you best have me be involved with it? A lot of believers and unbelievers are just like, let's just see what happens today. No, listen, that's fine if you're on vacation. But don't just be, don't just be uh, cavalier with all the things that God's given you. Maybe in this moment, part of something we can learn from Noah is that God wants us to take an account and be specific. And I'm not, I'm not arguing for some of you that are totally going to nerd out on every single second. I'm just saying, hey, honor God by not being uh, known for being confused. He goes on, God says this in verse number 17, look. I'm about, whenever God says look and then has an exclamation point, you should probably read that verse and then pay attention. It says, look, I'm about to cover the earth with a flood that will destroy every living thing that breathes. Everything on earth will die. And you got to imagine Noah's going, oh, well, that's heavy. But I will confirm my covenant with you. Whew, okay. So enter the boat, you and your wife and your sons and their wives. So his three boys also had wives, so there's eight people total. And he says, bring a pair of every kind of animal, a male and a female, into the boat, and you will keep them alive during the flood. Pairs of every kind of bird and every kind of animal and every kind of small animal that scurries around the, uh, along the ground will come to you to be kept alive. So God miraculously brought those animals to Noah, and his job was to put them on the ark and take care of them. It makes for a great children's story. But what the truth of it is, it was God preser preserving what he had created. Not everything, but enough to continue it on afterwards. And he says, you got to keep them alive. 
and be sure to take on board enough food for your family and for all the animals. That would definitely have been the first thing I was going to do. <laughs> I don't need space. I just need food. Um, so and here, here's, here's how this, verse ends, or this, this section ends. It says, Noah did everything exactly as God had commanded him. See that verse? Noah did what he wanted to do and altered God's plans to make his timeline fit better. If it was your name up there instead of Noah's, would it say, and Josh did most of what God asked him to do until he got tired? What would yours say? Because here's the truth. God had given him a mission, and it was up to him on whether he was going to follow it or not. And Noah did exactly what he was told to do. You and I, we have, a, uh, we have letters from God telling us how to live, and what we do is we kind of go, yeah, I love that, like this part where like God's going to bless me and he can answer my prayers. I don't like that whole like love your neighbor thing. So I'll do this part and push this part out. Man, a lot of amens. I have to pause to let you guys stop. Okay, that's cool. We pick and choose a lot of God's words and we're not known for doing everything exactly as we've been commanded and it was that difference that saved Noah. What if he didn't make the ark quite as big? What if he didn't actually get to work doing it? Yeah, someday I'll do it. It might have cost him his life. It might have cost, maybe he did some of it, but he didn't do it exactly the way, and maybe that would have cost him one of his kids' lives. Who knows what the ramifications would have been, but fortunately for Noah, he did everything he was told to do. I know that I, I don't often say, don't often mimic the way Jesus was right before the cross when he said, not my will, but your will. That was Jesus' prayer. Not my will, God. Whatever you have for me. He's praying to the Father. He says, whatever you have, that's what I'm going to do. Don't make it about me. What if you and I started our mornings by going, not my will, God. Not me. Not what I have to have. Do you know how much would change? Do you know how much stress would melt away from your day? Do you know how much anxiety? Do you know how much, how much frustration would melt away when you're like, God, not my will. Whatever you've got for me today. If you've got for me to sit in traffic, cool. Maybe you want me to spend some more time talking to you. God, oh, you brought somebody to sit next to me at lunch that I don't really enjoy? Cool. Maybe you're going to open up a door for me to have a conversation. What you and I do is go, I don't want to sit here. I don't want to talk to them. I don't want to. And we begin to, we begin to say, God, it's my way. I would just challenge you to learn something from Noah that says, not my will, but yours. It says this in 2 Peter chapter 2. So back to the New Testament now. God did not spare the ancient world except for Noah and the seven others in his family. Peter's writing this. Once again, a long time after the flood. He says, Noah warned the world of God's righteous judgment. Look at that. Noah warned the world of God's righteous judgment. So, so God protected Noah when he destroyed the world of ungodly people with a vast flood. We know that Noah got about 120 years. Back in this time, they lived a lot longer. They're, they were close, closer to the original creation. They were closer to being that more pure image of God. So the curse hadn't had thousands and thousands of years to deteriorate their bodies. So back then, there wasn't as much damage happening to the body, so they lived a lot longer. We know if you read the whole chapter, God gave Noah about 120 years notice for the flood. Um, and that somewhere along the line we started building it, his boys were old enough to have wives. So estimates are somewhere between 50 to 80 years is what it took Noah to build the ark. Somewhere between 50 to 80 years, Noah 
labored building something that his neighbors had never seen. Your neighbors give you crap about painting your shutters a weird color. Can you imagine Noah's neighbors? What you building, bro? Just a giant boat. What's a boat? It's just something God told me about. Cool. Why? Some call it a flood. Okay. And they're walking off. Noah's an idiot. <laughs> you know, like that's pretty much what it was like. And for, for let's just say at least 50, if not 80 years, our boy Noah told people, God loves you. Go back to God. Stop being selfish. Stop being sinful. Come back to God. God is not happy. He's going to destroy this. Judgment is coming. You, you, you got to stop what you're doing and you got to join me. And nobody does. But Noah still did what he was supposed to do. And that goes back to where he was anchored, witnessing for what was probably more than 80 years. Genesis 7, chapter 1, chapter 7, verse number 1, I'm sorry. When everything was ready, now that the boat's been built, when everything was ready, the Lord said to Noah, go into the boat with your family, with all your family, for among all the people of the earth, I can see that you alone are righteous. So when the time came at the end of those, what might have been 80 years or at least 120 years notice, at the end of all of those years, nobody was willing to join Noah except for his sons and their wives. And so God says, okay, go ahead and get in the boat. And then if you jump down to verse number four, it says, seven days from now, seven days from now, I will make the rains pour down on the earth and it will rain for 40 days and 40 nights until I've wiped uh, from the earth all the living things I have created. So Noah did everything as the Lord commanded him. Same thing again. Once again, he got in the boat. He got in. And I want you to notice verse number four, though. Verse number four says seven days from now, seven days from now. After the boat was over, God still had Noah get in the boat seven days before the rains came. Seven more days. He gave him one more week. After giving him a hundred years, he gave him another week to come join in before he sent the rains. Noah just had to live by example. I bet you when Noah got in, his friends were like, what's going to happen? And like the first day, they're like, I don't see anything. And I bet you it was kind of like frustrating for Noah to sit in the boat on day five. No rains. And you can hear his neighbors having a party. He can hear them having fun. He can hear them mocking him. I think it's more noticeable. I don't know what Noah went through, but I think it's more appropriate for us to notice how patient God was. He gave him time and continued to give him time. In 1 Peter chapter 3, verse number 20, Peter writes this. Those people who disobeyed God a long, long ago when God waited patiently, God waited patiently while Noah was building his boat. Only eight people were saved from the drowning in that terrible flood. It says this in Luke chapter 17. This is Jesus talking, by the way. In Luke chapter 17, verse number 26, it says, When the Son of Man returns, it will be like it was in Noah's day. So this is Jesus talking about Noah's story. Jesus says, it'll be like it was in Noah's day. In those days, the people enjoyed banquets and parties and weddings when? Right up until the time Noah entered the boat and the flood came and destroyed them all. It was one giant party. Jesus says, listen, when, when, when he's coming back, what the world's going to look like, it's going to look like a lot of people who care more about their own entertainment. Just, I'm, I'm paraphrasing, hear this. 2,000 years ago, Jesus said that when he comes back, the world will look like the way it looked in Noah's time. 
Well, what did it look like in Noah's time? Good question. Jesus explained. It will look like a bunch of people who care more about partying and their own pleasure than they care about serving God. Tell me what that sounds like. They, they partied and focused on their own gratification right up until the flood. Right up until it got bad. If there's anything you're going to learn from stories like this and, and this incredible story, and I know it's hard to wrap your head around this global flood, and we can talk about the science of it. And if you really have some questions that come hit me up afterwards, I'd love to tell you some of the stuff that's been found. I mean, they found, uh, you know, uh, sea creature fossils up on the tops of mountains because they're like, how did how did crustaceans get all the way there? There's definitely signs of global floods, but if you're having a hard time wrapping your head around it, don't get lost in the magnitude of it. Stop for a minute and notice that patience of God. Notice how gracious he was, but also notice that it, it came to an end. That's what's sobering. I went, I went out kayaking. I love to go kayaking. I don't get to do it as much as I'd like to. A long time. I haven't been out in a long time. But the last time I went out, which was like five years ago, <clears throat> I'm in good enough shape. I don't have to exercise. Um, <laughs> I went out and uh, man, I had fun. I had fun, you know, going out through the marshes out to the ocean, but I timed it wrong. <laughs> and I was like, time to get back to my truck. And there was only one way, and it was a long way through the marshes, except for the tide was going out. <laughs> and I was rowing against the tide. And if you've never rowed against the tide, that's a workout. I am digging. I'm like, with all, I'm like, yes, let's go. We're going to just go. It's, just, it's a tough row. We're going to make it. And I am like sweating. I'm like pouring it out. I'm like, I'm, man, I am paddling. And there's like a three-year-old kid walking on the beach faster than me. And I'm like, I literally, I couldn't do it. I just got out. I had to pick up the kayak and I had to walk through the march because I was like, I can't paddle against this tide. And, and what, I, what I learned, if, you, if, if we can apply any kind of nautical terms to this boat series that we're doing, it, it has to be, even when we watch God and his patience here, it's that every tide turns. Every tide turns. It turned for Noah. He had to struggle in the face of opposition. He was, he was stuck out there with everybody mocking him, hating him, living a, a, just a, a rebellious lifestyle. And he's the only one being godly. You know that had the grade on him. You know that had to be tough year after year to be the only one making sacrifices and praying and living godly while everybody else is living carnal and selfish. That tide turned for him. Finally, it went from him being the only righteous one in a pile of wickedness to he was the only righteous one on a clean slate. And what was rough became rewarding. But you also have to see the other side. The other people, man... They partied it up because there was well, God wasn't punishing them. God just let them live in their wickedness. The Bible says there's fun and there's fun in sin for a season. That sin is appealing and you can get away with it for a little while. You can flirt with some some things that don't make God happy for a while, and you think, hey, man, this must be okay. I'm I'm doing pretty good. And actually, what God says is no. The tide's going to turn. Those of you who like to take your chair down to the edge of the beach. If you get distracted reading your book, your feet are going to get wet because it's going to come back in at some point. And a lot of us, when we play with God, what we do is we're like, I'm just going to, I'm going to be over here. And we take advantage of God's grace and his mercy and his patience. But then it says this, 
In Genesis chapter 7, we continue on in verse 13. That very day Noah had gone into the boat with his wife and his sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, and their wives. With them in the boat were pairs of every kind of animal, domestic and wild, large. And so it's kind of giving us all this, and the birds of every kind. It's telling us what's going on. Two by two they came into the boat. That's a pretty cool story, representing every living thing that breathes. If I was a better pastor, I would like have a, had pictures for you or something. Um, but number 16, verse number 16. A male and female of each kind entered just as God commanded Noah. Then, this is a heavy, heavy sentence. Then the Lord closed the door behind them. Noah didn't close it. God doesn't tell us how he closed it. God just miraculously closed the door. After everything was loaded, he let them sit there. And then he says, I'm, I'm going to send the rain. And after seven days, he closes the door and the rains come. And we'll get to that here in a second. But that last line, man, that has been bugging me for months. Then the Lord closed the door behind him. I have to wonder, did, that still feels like a God who's just eager to, to squash people. If I don't read the story in its entirety, if I don't stop to look at what God was doing, I look, I, I see a God who's mean. And what it, actually, what it actually shows me is a God, once again, who was patient. Second Peter chapter 3, verse 9 says this, the Lord isn't really being slow about his promise. God said he was coming back. Why hasn't God come back? He's not being slow like some people think. No, God hasn't come back. Why? Because he's being patient for what? For your sake. He does not want anyone to be destroyed, but he wants everyone to repent. Other versions say the Lord's not willing that any should perish. This messes up some of my friends' theology. The Bible says that God doesn't want anybody to perish. What's he want? He wants everyone to repent. People love to take the Bible. They love to take calamity. They love to take disasters. They love to take all the bad things that happen in the world. And they go, yeah, if God was loving, he wouldn't let this happen. God is literally holding back the stuff. The things that we are facing, the, the problems, the issues, the death, the, the disease, the destruction, the, the, the brokenness of humanity, the things that make you and I cry, the things that break our hearts, the things that seem like there is no God, those things are the result of the brokenness of mankind's decisions. And it would be a lot worse if there wasn't a gracious, patient, merciful God saying, I'm holding it back. You got, you've got a limited amount of time to put your faith in me. I love when we sang the song, there's another one in the water holding back the sea. There's, there, there's a God that's with me in this. I just don't see it because I usually get selfish or I usually get all hurt and bent out of shape. But it says that God did close the door, which does say there is a limit to God's patience. There is a limit. And this is what I'm trying to tell you because I love you enough to tell you stuff that some people won't. Some of you are, are fooling around. You're playing around. You're like, yeah, I'll make up my mind about the God thing later. I'll, 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 I'll trust God later in life. Maybe on my deathbed, I'll get serious. You may never get that opportunity. It says that God closed the door. Jesus said this in Luke chapter 13, talking about how people will be in the end. He says, listen, when the master of the house has locked the door, it will be too late. You'll stand outside knocking and pleading, Lord, open the door for us. But he will reply, I don't know you or where you come from. This is hard because what we want is we want to think 
that the patient, loving God who lets us mess around and be selfish and sinful and do all that year after year after year after year. And some of you would say decade after decade after decade, this same God is just going to always be like, yeah, whatever, just whenever. At some point he says, no, I sacrificed my son. I laid my son down to cover your sins. I allowed my one and only son, John 3, 16 says that he gave Jesus up to the cross so that Jesus's death would cover your sins. So Jesus lays down his life, sheds his blood to pay your debt. He's got a, he's got a, 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 a present that says, hey, debt free, your salvation, here it is. And he's been offering it to you your whole life. Put your faith in me. Here, this is the payment of your sins. I've got a new hope for you. I've got a new life for you. I've got a future for you. Will you just put your faith in me? And you and I do this the whole, our whole life. Well, let me, let me get to that. I'll think about that later. I don't really want to think about heaven and hell and God and all that stuff. I just kind of want to focus on me. i gotta get a, I got to get married first. Or i, I got to get my career going. Oh, God, I'll think about God later. And we begin to push away God who just walks around going, I let my son die for you. Take this. Take it. Take it. How many times do you think God is going to allow this to happen? At some point in your life, you are going to take your last breath. And if come your last breath, you have still been like, ah, let me, later, later, nah, not right now, I don't want to think. At that point, the door shuts. And what we like to do is like, ah, maybe when I'm older. I've done a lot of funerals for a lot of people who never got to get older. I've, I, I, lit, I mean, I, I've done funerals for every age, and it breaks my heart because I know some of them, younger than I am now, think, ah, man, I had plenty of time, plenty of time. The Bible says that none of us are promised tomorrow. If you're waiting to get serious about your walk with God, don't, because the door is going to shut. You just don't know when that's coming. It says this. Here's the end of the story. For 40 days, the floodwaters grew deeper, covering the ground. And lifting up the boat high above the earth, as the waters rose higher and higher above the ground, the boat floated safely on the surface. I just want you to read what the, hear what the, 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 that picture is. The floodwaters grew deeper, they covered the ground, they lifted the boat high above the earth. As the waters rose higher and higher above the ground, the boat floated safely on the surface. You see the picture that the Bible's painting for us? Let's move on. Finally, the water covered even the highest mountains on the earth. Rising more than 22 feet above the highest peaks, we know that the highest one is Mount Everest. Higher than even Mount Everest, the water filled the earth. Above the mountains, the ark, the boat rose up even higher than the mountains and floated safely over top of them. All the living things on the earth died, birds, domestic animals, wild animals, small animals that scurry along the ground, and all the people Everything that breathed and lived on dry land died. God wiped out every living thing on the earth. People, livestock, small animals that scurried on the ground and birds of the sky. All were destroyed. The only people who survived were Noah and those with him in the boat. And the floodwaters covered the earth for 150 days. I don't have enough time to read you the rest of the story. But eventually, after another 150 days, the boat comes to rest and Noah gets out. He's on the ark for 377 days. And he finally gets off the boat after he tests it and the waters recede and the land dries up. And then him and his family, they get off. And it's just, it's, it's a really cool story. The rainbow comes out. You got to go read it. I don't have time to tell it all to you. I want you to see something here. Something that 
I saw, and I don't know if I can explain it to you in the way that it hit, hit me and gripped my heart, but it says those waters came down. Will you bring up verse 18 for me, please? As the waters rose higher and higher above the ground, the boat floated safely on the surface. The same waters that a few verses later drowned the people as punishment are the exact same waters that saved him. It's those waters coming down that got the boat clear of all the mountains and the boat didn't get knocked around in the storm and crash into the rocks and everybody die and drown. The waters that killed some were actually the same waters that rescued others. This is it's an amazing picture of how God takes stuff that we see where we see only death, God takes it and makes redemption. And I have to ask you, when it comes to the God of the universe at work in your life, you're going to find yourself like one of the characters in this story. You're either going to be finished off or you're going to be floating on. And the very thing that brings other people down, the thing that crushes some people, the thing that is brokenness and despair for some will, can actually be rescue for you. Here's how I see this play. I see those waters look like God's ruin. At the same time, I see those waters act as God's rescue. And it reminds me of a story later on in the Bible where a man named Jesus hangs on a cross and they beat him so mercilessly. The things they do to his body are hard to describe. And all we really are left with is a few pictures of a man beaten unrecognizably so that his blood flowed. And I see a story, and you have to choose whether you believe it to be true or not, but that story of Jesus dying, a lot of people look like, this is it, it's ruined. This Messiah and his run as being this awesome guy, this rabbi who said he was a Messiah, his, his reign is over. It's ruined by the cross. The blood that he is shedding lets us know that's over. That whole Jesus being our Savior thing, that's done. And that's what people saw. They saw that blood and they saw, thought, ah, it's ruined. But the same way as the floodwaters, God says, no, I'm going to use that blood to rescue. And the very thing that for some people men say, hey, that's the end. What God says is, no, this is the promise. This is what I've got. It says this in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 6 and 7. It says, so we praise God for the glorious grace that he's poured out on us who belong to his dear son, Jesus. He is so rich in kindness and grace that he what? He purchased our freedom with the blood of his son. And he forgave our sins. It was by the, what looked like the end. It was what looked like destruction. It's what looked like a, 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 the final nail in the coffin. It's what looked like the worst of the worst where God took it. Back in Genesis and then again in the New Testament, he took that and he said, no. I'm going to use it to make something new. I'm going to use it to change your life. I'm going to use it to rescue. And it's the blood of Jesus. It's his sacrifice that gives us hope. It gives us freedom. 
That's the reason we can see, sing songs about our chains falling off. That's the reason that we can get up in the morning and say, God, I don't have to be a slave to my fear. I don't have to be, I don't have to be trapped by my depression. I don't, have to, I don't have to be weighed down by my broken past and my, my issues that I used to have. It's that blood that looked like the end actually gives me a new beginning. It says in 1 John chapter 1, verse number 7, if we're living in the light as God is in the light, then we have fellowship with each other. And the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. It's weird to talk about blood. I get it. And that's actually why there's a lot of songs that you sing in worship at churches that talk about blood. But I get it. Like, I don't want my friend to walk in for the first time to church. And it's like, there's power in the blood. There's power in the blood. And people are like, ah. Can we not talk about that? Like, first thing in the morning or whatever. I get it. It's weird. But it, it goes all the way back to the idea that God said there had to be a sacrifice. Because God is righteous and pure and holy, there had to be judgment for sin. There had to be payment. And we watched the God who was righteous try to, try to continue to show patience and grace and mercy to make sure that the punishment comes when there's nothing left but punishment. He, he extends it time and time again. He did it back for Noah, and he does it for us today. He says, listen, I, I've gone so far as not only to delay your punishment and to give you as much time as possible, I've actually given my son to cover your punishment. What more do you want? Besides time, he's actually paid your debt. You just have to accept it. It's the son, it's the blood of Jesus, his son, that cleanses us from all sin. If you continue on, it says in the very next two verses, if we claim we have no sin, if you're sitting here going, Pastor, I don't, I don't think I, that applies to me. If you claim you have no sin, you're only fooling yourself. You're not living in truth. You're broken. What's nice about Harbor is that we pretty much are, we're pretty open about it. Nobody here thinks that they're all that. And if they do, it won't last very long. We're dumpster fires, we know it. But the cool thing is we don't have to stay there. We don't have to live in our brokenness. Why? Because the verse number nine says, but if we confess our sins, if we admit that we're broken, if we own the fact that we screw up, if we confess our sins to him, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all of our unrighteousness or wickedness, as this verse says. The story of Noah is the same. It was painting a picture of a God who would do everything he could to rescue and to give you a clean start. The story of Noah paints a picture about the story of Jesus, which was applicable back then, and it is to you and I today. If you're watching or if you're listening, the same God who is patient and merciful and says, I'll do everything I can to hold back judgment and then give you a clean start, is doing that today. He's saying, hey, listen, I'm offering it to you. Will you take it? And if you say, yeah, pastor, I've already done that. Then does your life look more like Noah? Does your life look more like the people around him? What's your priorities? What are you known for? Where is your heart? What's your testimony? Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord God, we thank you for the story of Noah. We thank you for the story of a boat. That was more than just a way to get some animals around. It was a rescue plan. God, I, I imagine there was times where Noah felt trapped in that ark. It, it must have felt a little bit like a coffin. It must have felt 
Like, God, that you had forgotten them. It must have felt so scary and lonely. And God, I pray right now for the people under the sound of my voice that feel broken or lonely or scared. God, I, I pray for the people that right now they don't know where to turn. They don't know what to do. God, they're, they're living in the shame of their sin. They're living in the regret of their past. They're living in the uncertainty of what's coming next. They're, they're gripped with, with frustrations. They're, God, I, I feel like there's people that are, are, are unsure of what you would have them do. They're... They're worried about their marriage. They're worried about their parents or their kids. They're worried about their job. God, there's so many things that we get trapped in. We feel so forgotten. We feel so alone. And yet we can read a story that says that you haven't forgotten us, that you're watching over us, that even though it may be so long without you, that, it, that there's a way to be rescued. There's a way to have a relationship with you. God, I pray that each and every person that hears this story would make the decision to draw close to you. God, I imagine there's somebody that needs to do it for the very first time, and there's probably some others that need to do it as a way of just reminding themselves that they already gave their heart to you, but they have to live like it. God, there's probably some people right now that look a little less like Noah and look a little bit more like the world. And so, God, we ask for forgiveness for that. We ask that we would embrace a relationship with you and let you call the shots. God, help us be reminded that you'll never leave us alone. You'll never abandon us. That you're always with us. Help us remember that, to take joy in that, to praise you for it, and then to gain strength and courage and to have a life that is bright in a very dark world. God, help each and every one of us. We ask all of this in your precious and holy name. Amen. If you'd like to support the ministries of Harbor as we bring the hope of Jesus to our community and around the world, you can visit harborchurch.com give or text any amount to 84321. Thanks for listening. See you next week.